Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Genesis, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Would you join me in a short prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may what I speak be glorious to you. Be good in thine eyes. This I pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I met with Dave to discuss today's service. He wanted to know if I had an idea of what I wanted to do for a sermon. I said that I was thinking, is this quiet, dark time after Christmas a good time to be creative? Dave said, if you talk about creativity, you could use Genesis 1 to show how God created everything, including light and darkness. I said to Dave, talking about darkness, before you came to Emmanuel, I once gave a sermon called At the End of a Long and Dark Driveway. In the sermon, I told how late one evening I looked out my front window to see two ambulances parked across the street, all lights off, just parked there. I went to investigate and noticed a group of people gathered in the front yard of the house just down the street. To make a long story short, the young man who lived across the street had just committed suicide. I soon found myself among the group. After a while, a car pulled up and parked across the street. A woman who knew the young man tells me this is the man's parents. I watch as they get out of the car. I thought that this has to be the darkest of dark moments a parent would ever have to face. I watched as the man started to walk toward his son's driveway, then turned back. After a short time, he again walked and then turned back. The third time he walked, stopped, and as he paused, I heard myself say, would you like me to walk with you? The man said, yes, would you? In a sermon, I told of standing with a man at the end of the long, dark driveway. In a sermon, I explored the question, what does God want us to do in these times of darkness? I told Dave that that Sunday, before I began my service, I looked out at you, the congregation, and said, I'm not sure if what I'm going to share is a sermon or therapy. I'll let you be the judge. Dave laughed, saying, I think all sermons are a form of therapy for the pastors. <laughs> I took comfort in that statement as I worked on today's sermon. I think that everyone who goes to church should have to do a sermon sometime in their life. The first thing you learn is whether you learned the scriptures correctly. Once I was asked to do a sermon around Mother's Day, I thought it fitting to use the scripture where God says, I knew you when you were in the womb. This being something mothers and God have in common. About halfway through writing the sermon, I read the scripture, Jeremiah 1. It says, the Lord came to me saying, I knew you before 
I formed you in the womb. My initial reaction was, when did they change this scripture? <laughs> My second reaction was, should I just finish the sermon and see if anybody catches the misreading? <laughs> the second thing you find is that you view everything through your human hermeneutic lenses. <laughs> I read and reread Genesis 1 and thought that this was just not the passage I need. Then I thought to myself, maybe if I just paraphrase what it says. Verse 3 says, God came to earth, saw that it was dark, installed a switch, hit the switch, and said, I'll call this light. After operating the switch a few times, said, this is good. Verse 5, God playing with the switch, said, I will call this day, and I will call this night. Day, night, day, night. Verse 14, finds God again playing with the switch. Day, night, day, night, day. God said, I'll call this summer. Then in the same fashion, God said, day, night, day, night, day, night. I'll call this winter. Having just created the seasons, God said, this works. Man, I'm good. <laughs> After paraphrasing it, I was still not sure that it was the right passage. I'll have to say, though, I think the comparison of God to an electrician was not a bad comparison. Having been a general contractor for 25 years, I cannot say how many times I've entered a room to hear an electrician saying, this wire goes to the light over there. This is the hot wire. The red wire is the traveler. When I read Genesis, I read, God said, let there be light, let the earth put forth vegetation, etc., etc. As I read this, I wonder, like the electrician, who is he talking to? Maybe that will be the question I examine in my next sermon. Why, when God does something and it works, he says, man, I'm good. And when the electrician does something and it works, she says, God, I'm good. <laughs> Different perspectives on theology, I suppose. Now, that is a question worthy of my Ivy League education. <laughs> Many of you have heard me say that sometimes a person has to climb a mountain, come back down, think about it for a while, before he realizes why he climbed the mountain in the first place. This has been the case with the first two stories I just told. I think I told the first story to say, yes, there are times in the darkness that God asks us to be his light, his hands and feet, and sometimes to literally walk with someone who is suffering in the darkness. The second reason I told the story was to show myself I don't want to focus on darkness. I want to focus on creativity. I told the second story because I thought it would be easier to show you what I mean by being creative versus telling you. To be quite frank, after the darkness of the two years of pandemic have brought, I thought we could use a good laugh. Now I'm going to focus on creativity and God's role in it. I have more questions than I have answers. Elizabeth O'Connor, in her book, Cry Pain, 
cry hope, expounds on Sigmund Freud's idea that all great men have to overcome three difficulties. I'm going to paraphrase some of both writers' ideas while adding mine as they apply to creativity. The first difficulty is the resistance in himself. The who am I questions fall into this category. Who am I to think I can create? Who am I to take the time and the resources to be creative? I liked O'Connor's question, who am I to think I can bring something out of nothing? In my shop, I have a piece of art I've been working on for a couple of years. The piece is based on an article I read that explores the question, have we come far enough away from World War II to commit the same atrocities? I find that I will go long periods of time not working on the project because of an interior fight going on inside my head. Who am I to ask that question? Many people, including O'Connor, ask the question, isn't being creative God's realm? God created everything. The more I think about this question, the more I want to say, if God is responsible for all creation, then if we're being creative, are we not doing God's work? The second difficulty is the friction and fight with his contemporaries. I've wondered what percentage of people who have pursued the arts, music, dance, drama, writing, haven't at one time or another had somebody tell them that they should get a real job. <laughs> or heard that if this is what you want to do with your life, why'd you waste your time and resources going to college? I have an uncle who was a contractor who over the years answered many of my questions and gave good advice. After college, I told him I was going to be a contractor. He said, never become known as a contractor who will do work cheapest. Because if you do, only people who want work done cheap will seek you out. Become the contractor known for doing good work and getting paid a fair wage. Many years later, I told him I was doing some shop work, making a communion table, and doing some wood turning. He just looked at me and flat said, where the hell is the money in that? <laughs> All of us had heard some variation of this. The third difficulty arises from the work itself. If you want to write the great American novel, you have to take the time and the energy to learn how to write. I have mixed emotions about this difficulty. On the one hand, no one gets good at anything without working at it. Everyone has to devote the time. As they say, if you want to be a writer, put your bottom in the chair and start writing. On the other hand, there are things I don't care how hard somebody works at it, they will never be great or even good at. As they say, some people have God-given talent for this or that, and some do not. It was at this point that I thought, do these three difficulties apply to being Christian? I think they do. First, the why me questions. Why would God care about me? Who am I to think I can get to know God? Second, the conflict with others. Sure, you can go to church, but you can't give it any of our resources. Why would you want to belong to an outfit that only sells fire insurance? The final difficulty, can I do what it takes to be Christian? One thing 
I think that all of us should take from God's example in Genesis 1 is whether you're a nurse and you've used your creativity to save a person's life or you're a teacher who helped a student to read, you should take the time to say, this works. Man, I'm good. Or God, I'm good, depending on your perspective. The last idea I want to touch on is the idea of listening for the voice. The voice that wants you to be more creative or more Christ-like or both. It's the voice you hear as you drive down the freeway that says you could create this or that with the materials you have and you soon find yourself on the side of the road with a pencil and paper drawing things out. Or it may be the voice you hear when you're driving down a quiet road, you come upon an accident, your mind says, no use stopping, there are already people there and I'm not a medical person. Then the voice says, yes, they will need medical help, but now all they need is someone to hold their hand and tell them repeatedly that they will be okay. Where creative ideas and this voice come from has been and will continue to be debated. I think both are worth listening for. I would like to end my sermon with a short story in which I heard a voice. A couple years ago, about this time, Connie and I, to escape Seattle's darkness, went to Cabo del Sol for a short vacation. One evening after dinner, we were walking around when we came to a Catholic church in the center of town. Off to the side of the church's entry was a table with a bunch of packets of rice, beans, wrapped in white lacy cloth. I asked the priest behind the table, what were these packets for? He said they were gifts to be given. The money raised goes to buy food for the poor. I asked how much. He said 50 pesos. I gave him 50 pesos and he gave me a gift. I was wondering what I was going to do with this gift when a mother with a baby in one arm and a young girl holding her hand caught my attention. The little girl was pulling, apparently wanting her mother to buy her a gift. We all have been in a situation like this with a kid who wants a candy bar. The struggle continued. I tapped the mother on the shoulder as best as I could with hand motions, asked if I could give my gift to her little girl. She nodded. As I lowered myself to the girl, I noticed her coal black hair and her beautiful red Christmas dress. As the girl took the gift, her expression was of someone who had just accomplished the mission. Her mother spoke to her, and the girl said, gracias. A short, uh, a, sh a short time later, the church doors opened, and the church soon filled to capacity. Connie and I stood there by the back door and watched. Early in the service, the congregation started to sing the song, The Little Drummer Boy. I cannot understand the words, but I am very familiar with the music. As the music played, Somebody, people slowly left their pews and moved toward the front of the church. As I stood there listening, my mind drifted to the thoughts of my father. The little drummer boy was his favorite Christmas carol. His favorite had become mine. I thought of his laughter, stories he told, playing cards. I realized that some of the last memories of my father are him standing in front of a Bose speaker, suspended from a ceiling, singing along with the little drummer boy. 
As my mind drifted, my attention was again drawn to the little girl in the red dress. She had slipped out of her pew and was moving forward. I watched as she approached the front of the church, knelt on one knee, cr crossed herself, bowed her head, and after a few moments, reached out and set her gift at the foot of baby Jesus' cradle. She's, she then moved up the outer aisle and disappeared back into her pew. When the music ended and the priest started to speak, my mind was racing. Then it was as if the words were no longer racing through my head, but were being spoken to me, spoken like the words Jesus spoke to his disciples after having shown them something, took them aside and explained what it was they had just witnessed. What I heard was Warren, for a donation of 50 pesos, the little girl, along with many members of her community, got to take part in an old ritual. The ritual where those who feel blessed give to those in need. The little girl got to take a short walk in what will surely be a long journey with her loving Heavenly Father. You, you got to see that God's love spans many generations. The little girls, yours, your father's, as well as hundreds of generations before that. You got to see that God's love knows no national boundaries. And finally, you got to see that God's love is spoken in all languages. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today for your creation, for creating and giving us creativity. We thank you for the voice. All this we pray in your son's holy name. Amen.